Welcome to Stories from a Nomadic Citizen, where I share stories ranging from the seemingly trivial to the more meaningful about myself and others from the lens of a third culture kid who has lived around the world. This is Grace, and I am recording this from New York City. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my friend Rose, who I met in sixth grade at our school in Brasilia almost 20 years ago. Like my dad, her dad also used to be a diplomat, but representing Canada. And in this episode, we mainly talk about Rose's upbringing and the transitions that she's made throughout her life, moving and traveling from one place to another, with more focus on Brazil, Vietnam, and Canada. We start out by having her talk about her early childhood days and working our way up from there. Just one side note, you'll hear some static noise when I'm speaking. I just got a new mic and unfortunately hadn't quite figured it out yet when Rose and I had our Zoom call. But other than that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm French-Canadian. I was born on the Ottawa side of Quebec. And when I was really young, from two to five, we moved to India, New Delhi. My dad is a diplomat. He works with the Canadian embassy. Um, So I was really young, but that's where I picked up English. I went to the English like kindergarten and um, I have very vague memories of that they're more they're not really about like the city or or the life they're more personal you know feeling a certain grudge about not getting something (laughs) um like my family and things like that maybe you know uh, I remember the cook the the people that were around us I remember the house I remember the school but that's most of my memories relating to that um and then when I was five I moved back to Canada my mom always wanted us to go back home back to um Canada in between postings uh, because she felt like we needed a sense of normalcy and uh, understanding what uh, being Canadian was. Um, And then, so when we were nine, uh, we moved to Brazil um, again. So I stayed four years in uh, Canada, you know, went to French public school and then we moved to Brazil. Uh, I have many siblings. Some of them decided to go to the American school. Um, I, me and my younger sister decided to go to the French school uh, because it just seemed less scary. At that point, we, I, I still knew basic English, but I, you know, I didn't never learn to read or write. And it was a bit scary doing schooling in another language. Uh, so we went to the French school for two years. And then my mom decided that she wanted us to improve our English. And so we moved to the EAB. American school in uh, Brasilia and that's where I met you in sixth grade. Yay! (laughs) You mentioned about your siblings. Of course I know you have a big family but it would be nice of you talk a little bit about your family because I feel like in today's age it's well I think it's really cool. Yeah it's always shocking to people um we're like a big family and people always ask questions but um I mean uh, I have five siblings, uh, one brother and four sisters. So it's a total of five girls, one boy. They're all from the same parents who are still together. Uh, they, they were never married, though, which is a very Quebec thing. <laughs> um, and, and so they're common law partners. 
And I have a niece who was born in Brazil in 2001. And uh, she's she only has a 10-year age difference with me. So she's pretty close in age. Um, so, for example, my youngest is... So I'm fifth in the... Out of six siblings, I'm second to last. Um, and my youngest sibling is closer in age to my niece than she is to my oldest sisters. Even though we all are from like youngest to oldest, there's only 11 years. Um, my niece is still closer in age to my youngest sister. So it was a it was a little bit of a weird dynamic at times growing up um, because my sister, you know, she's my niece. She's not my sister, but uh, in some kind of way, she also is. I, I wonder, like if being in a big family surrounded by a bunch of siblings when you moved, you know, from Canada to Brazil, do you feel like that helped in terms of, well, you maybe felt less alone being in a new environment and also like learning two new languages, right? So I would say it helped, but it's hard for me to know because I've never experienced it otherwise. Um, you know, but we did move as a clan usually and um, moving from one place to another when at the beginning you have no friends and it's a bit lonely. We always had like, we always had each other. Uh, so I remember, for example, when we moved in the house for the first, like for the first three months, we didn't have our stuff. So we had to invent games, but it was good that there was a lot of us. Uh, and I went to the French school with my youngest sister. So I think maybe that brought us closer um, we had a lot of the same experience, understood the same things. The, the French school was much smaller than EAB, which already isn't very big compared to the schools I went in later in life. Um, yeah. And so we knew a lot of the same friends and things like that. Uh, and uh, I would say so. I would say there was a healthy competition to learning the language and like sharing words that we learned and correcting each other. And that sometimes at the time it might have seemed coming from like a competitive angle being oh that's not how you say it this is how you say it so it might have been rubbing the wrong way and trying to show that you know but in the end I think in some kind of way that did help and it was always nice I remember I took extracurricular Portuguese lesson with my uh, youngest sister when we were at the French school uh, in Brasilia and it was nice to have company have someone you knew there but then again the school was so small you would you would end up knowing people but it was good. It was good. The sharing part of it, the sharing part of it, I think was good. Some people was, you know, we'd be at the dinner table and we were all experiencing something new and someone would, one of the siblings would say, one of my sisters would say, oh, do you know what I learned today about Portuguese? Or my dad would share words, just things like that. Um, I also have many siblings, but it's important to know that actually uh, not all of them came with us to Brazil. Uh, my oldest sister and my oldest brother, who at the time were, uh, I think, 18 and 17, I think, they were quote unquote left behind in Canada because uh, as we were moving, there was really nothing they could do. They couldn't go to university or college uh, in Brazil. It would have been hard to do it in Portuguese. You couldn't do it in English and it might have not been recognized back home. So they, just, they stayed with the family or friends. And it's, I remember when I turned 17, I thought that was crazy that like I couldn't imagine all of my family moving abroad. I don't know if I ever told you, but I remember thinking, you know, whenever I went to your place that, oh my gosh, you have all these people in your house. This is so great. Like I felt like an only child, even though I technically am not because as you know, my siblings are so much older and I don't ever remember really when I lived with them, but it seems like 
fortunately you you've been able to be in close proximity at least for part of your life with most of them well I'm curious maybe I asked you this back when you first moved to EAV in sixth grade but it's been a while um how did the French school compare to EAB? Obviously different language of instruction and smaller, but did you feel that, you know, there was sort of in a way like a culture shock that was really different coming to EAB? Yeah, I would say definitely a culture shock. Um, just that even from an educational point of view, uh, teaching methods in uh, France and American are very different. Uh, the French school is way harder. <laughs> um, and the sizes are smaller. It's more like you have to like have respect and things like that. I also, from another point of view, the French school was not as expensive. So we'd have some Brazilians there, but they didn't have to be like, quote unquote, super rich, like ultra rich. Like, whereas in mm-hmm. EAB, like it was people, the school is very expensive. My parents, uh, I mean, we're, we're well off, but they have a lot of kids. And they said, like, if the embassy or the Canadian government wasn't helping us pay, they wouldn't have been able to send us to the American school. Um, we would have just all gone to the French school. So it was very, um, it was a different crowd for sure. And that showed, and, and the, it was smaller. The, the French school had like, had maybe and and gym classes are not as important in uh, in France in general. I would say I would think it's just not as much. It's the culture, the sports culture is not as big. Um, so they didn't even have one gym. They had an uncovered like one basketball court, uh, and that was it. And so like EAB was much bigger. Like everything was nicer. Like they took way better care of the school. But it's just a difference. Like it's not necessarily. I wouldn't say the French school was bad. I was just saying like they have a different view, like way of seeing it, things like that. Well, you mentioned the focus on sports at EAB. I always thought, I I sort of had this like admiration and respect for you because you seem to play every single sport and you, you could play them well, in my opinion, like, Okay, I know obviously you did soccer, you did basketball, right? Volleyball. I guess how do you feel like you just knew how to play them right from the bat? Or or like how has sports um sort of been infused to your life from an early age? My parents have a really big focus on sports. My mom actually studied to be a sports teacher at one point, um, like a PE teacher, and then my dad he doesn't do it anymore, but he used to run 10K every day. And both of them would play, had played a bunch of sports. They met actually through, anyways, their family played a lot of sports together. They come from the same place. Um, so sports were always a really important part of our life. Um, when we when we were all kids, we all played soccer. Soccer is really big where I come from, just the community. Everyone my age played soccer. Um, and so... We played soccer. My mom always would let us make us play like two or three different sports. She would usually pick them for us, though. That was uh, one thing. Uh, I do believe, though, that once you start, and for example, uh, we had a uh, basketball hoop in the in the driveway. So uh, on the evenings, there was enough of us who would play like a certain game, just throw some hoops and things like that. But I do believe that like once you play a few different sports and different game, you do get the certain Jessica. Uh, you know, get the eye 
eye-hand coordination and things like that. Uh, I do think they develop just by playing different sports. And that's why people who are athletic are like a little bit better at everything just because they've developed that skills more than I'm really bad at like other stuff. Um, I can't do anything manual, but that's what I have. I really only started playing sports at EAB and, and yeah, actually in my last episode, I was talking about how it wasn't necessarily spurred by, oh, I like to play sports. It was more like, okay, I want to fit in and travel, you know, to Hanshu. Speaking of Hanshu and, and little eight, little six, which I mentioned in passing in the last episode, what were some of the just hearing it right now, what popped into your head? Bliss, pure bliss. Uh, that, that was the one thing I was really um, jealous of uh, when my sisters were at the American school. Like that trip just sounded amazing. Uh, you got to go basically to like, I don't know how, you, like a resort, like a, I don't know how you call it. Like, it's not like it's a, I know the word in French, but I don't know what I would be looking for in English. Like it's like a, sports resort I guess uh the 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 place was incredible and I think we didn't take advantage of it they like there was like man-made waterfalls and things like that but they like looked really nice there was I don't I remember being chased I know for sure there were um some uh, peacocks because I remember getting chased by them but you know they had you some remember that you remember I got chased <laughs> yes, by that peacock yes. <laughs> thank you um whenever we do uh we never there's you know, fun facts about people. I was put like, I was chased by a peacock. <laughs> um, and the food was delicious. Uh, and it was just, it was really nice. It was like, yeah, it was a mix between camp and resort because we did sleep in bunk beds, but they were like nice bunk beds. Bunk beds. And uh, yeah, the, the, the place was just beautiful. And it was crazy because <laughs> a lot of people just wanted to go for the trip. A lot of, some people joined I mean, the sports I did. team. <laughs> yeah, but some people joined the sports team. And didn't want to like really play the sport or didn't even want to play when it came to like the matches. They just wanted to go to the trip. I mean, yeah, I could kind of relate. No, but I, I did enjoy the sports aspect, but admittedly, I always felt really nervous. And I remember, oh, there, I mean, there were so many good memories and, and there were pools, right? And there were water slides. Like this is, I don't know. It's weird because like this was, the norm and then like that's what I thought oh like all schools have this like you go on these trips if you do sports this is what you do but later on I realized oh wow no I was like living this pretty luxurious lifestyle oh coming back home was such a shock it was a big reverse cultural shock um getting back going back home and we 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 stayed in brazil for four years uh, my dad had been proposed an extension for a fifth year uh, my mom refused because she felt that we were more brazilian than uh, canadian at that point uh, all of us had integrated really well um but she just felt it was time for us to go back home we didn't remember winter you know <laughs> so it was a it was a shock going back home Going back to school was, and I went to a nice private school in a nice building. Like I would say it's nicer than most schools in my area. And uh, the workload, like I remember EEB, I got like 90s without even trying. And like the workload was way harder. Uh, you know, the way of life was 
and now it's, it's more of my life. Um, it's more realistic. You know, I would take the bus to go places. I had to walk like 40 minutes, uh, and people didn't have the latest technology for things. You know, and EAB was just so flashy. I mean, like when you think about it, like it's almost when I think of Brazil, sometimes it's a dream when you think about some of the stuff like the the quinceañeras, like yeah. the luxurious, the luxury of these things I've never experienced in my like even when I paid a hundred dollars to go to a gala or event here, I've never had that kind of luxury in my life. Um, like rose petals in the bathroom floor, and like it was that that was crazy. And I think and it was it was funny because we would so we'd be in Brazil and then would in the years would come back would come back in the the summer to visit our family my mom would like rent this student housing um that was not busy because it was the summer but there was so many of us and there were like not enough rooms that to have my own room I would sleep in the closet so it was a very like different like it's, it was a closet like I'm not kidding it was like and so it was a very different experience of uh like even in Brazil, I knew like we were a little bit different. We didn't have this. We didn't have the same lifestyle as of the, especially the Brazilians who live there. But even a lot of the, the the foreigners, I would say, had like I think when I think about like your house, you had like three bedrooms and the massive yard. Um, we were like, three in a bedroom, but that's mostly because there was enough room. There was enough houses with enough rooms for kids. Um, and my sister had a baby. But uh, the reverse culture shock, it was my first year back was really hard. My first year back home, first of all, I got all the colds, like for, uh, and all of us, we had everything um, because you, you don't get used to them. Like they're seasonal, right? Uh, and we just had missed a lot of seasons. <laughs> we got all the colds. We were sick all the time. Everyone was struggling with uh, my, my youngest sister a little bit less because she was in sixth grade, but uh, we were all a little bit struggling with uh, classes and uh, we had missed, we had, uh, we were a little uh, behind on French, uh, even though my mom had tutored us and we had lessons, like some of the stuff, we, we were a little bit behind, uh, like French grammar is very specific. It's not just like you learn, it's like you learn by steps. Um, and so it was, it was really hard and I, I missed it a lot. I've never gone back to Brazil and I think I worry that, you know, it's a time and place. It's, it was a, it was a time. So you can't go back to something that's not there anymore. Like the buildings are still there. The like general people are still there, but not the people you knew you're not the same age. Like it's not, it's not going to be the same. So that's the kind of thing that whenever people ask why didn't I go back? And that's the thing, right? It's like, uh, if you, I went, so later in life, I went to Vietnam. I worked in Vietnam and then went back and then going back, it was different. And I'm happy I went back, but it's, it's not like, you're not going back to the same thing. You can't find the same thing you're looking for. So. Yeah. I, I felt the same way actually when I went to Portugal, the second time, so I went, I visited Portugal once, uh, right after I left, which was like not even half a year after, but then the second time was like, I don't know, several years later, maybe five years later or more. And it just felt really different and I still loved it, but yeah, I, I haven't been able to go back to Brazil. Uh, but like what you were saying, we were, we were definitely in this bubble. Like now I'm very much aware of, of the inequality in Brazil. 
but at the time it was like the norm that oh like most of our Brazilian classmates wore designer clothing um and oh it was normal to have all these super fancy 15 15 year uh birthday parties that were honestly like more lavish than weddings um or it could be more lavish than weddings I was like yeah it was kind of insane but yeah it's it's sort of sad in a way but I think you know me I mean I I feel like I have this tendency to always look back like oh I want to go back to this time period but you know even if we were to go back to that place it's and live there I feel like it's actually gonna be even harder than moving to a brand new place because you have these memories, especially if you really liked the place and you move back there and it's completely different. I think I'd like to go back to Brazil, but I, because I, like, I do love the culture and it really resonates with me. Like every time I go on trips and I hear like Portuguese, like Portuguese from Brazil, my ear like gets attracted to it. And I'm like, Oh, you know, it's yeah. familiarity. Like sometimes I, watch shows but I think if I went back I'd go to like places I haven't been or like see like the northeast of Brazil something like uh, Salvador or something like that like that I haven't experienced so like it would be experiencing it but differently and not going back to things that you can't go back to does that make sense yeah well we should add that to our next place to meet up. I mean, I still hope I can make it to Yellowknife, which I want to get to later because I think very few people will know someone who lives in Yellowknife. <laughs> I want to go back to one point you mentioned, which is that your mom felt like you guys, you and your siblings were becoming too Brazilian, like more Brazilian than Canadian. Could you elaborate it? maybe specific examples of how she might've felt that you guys were more Brazilian than Canadian. Like what is being Brazilian versus what is Canadian? I don't know if I can, because it was like her opinion. And I think at that time I thought I was Canadian, but it's true. I had forgotten a lot of things. Like I hadn't, and, and I think what you mean is Brazilian, but also an expat, uh, which is a completely different way of life. You're not like everybody. <laughs> when, when we went back home, we were like everybody, right? Um, and, and, you know, you live in your little bubble, you're not really part of society. Uh, and I don't know, I think we just, she, I think she was also afraid we would get used to the lifestyle, which when we went back home, the second we went back home, the lifestyle, like, it's not that my parents, you know, we, we did chores and stuff like that. I don't think like in the house, we were that privileged, but still just, just the house was a privilege. The house came with a pool and like a nice backyard and we didn't have that back home and things like that. Um, so I think it was the lifestyle. I think it was the values too. Um, I would say my parents a little bit more like, and it might seem strange to some people, but a bit more like socialist. Uh, Quebec does tend to have more of a socialist point of view. So she wanted us to feel like we were equal to everyone else, that, you know, that we were, because that's what we are, especially when you go back home, you just, you're just someone else. Um, and um, I think French is an important part, even though she uh, forced my sister and I, we didn't want to leave the French school. So if it wasn't for my mother, I would have never met you. Um, okay. French is well, really- you have to pass on my thanks to your mom then. <laughs> <laughs> I cried so much. I cried so much because I didn't want to leave the school um, to go to the English school where I couldn't, like, I, I couldn't, 
speak English. I was worried and it was really big and the system was different and I had good friends. Um, so even though she had sent us to the American school because she thought English is important and it's good that we uh, speak it well, uh, she thought it was time to go back home. And I think maybe... I don't know. Uh, I, I, it might have been different things, right? Because she said after a fifth year, it would have still been hard. It would always have been hard to leave. So she thought that was the time. You know, we definitely took some expression, some of the fashion and things like that. That It was even, even, <laughs> even the fashion was a culture shock coming back home. Everyone had bleached hair. Um, in Brazil, I do think people, when, at least when we were there, had quite a natural look to them. Um, and I can remember coming back home and like girls who were my age who were like in eighth grade had the full painted face of makeup and things like that. And it was just, it was very the time, um, you know, early 2000s, the blue eyeshadow, but uh, it was, yeah, it, we picked up on all of this, right? Yeah. Speaking of fashion, I remember, for example, Avayanas were huge. So those, the Brazilian flip-flops. And I mean, I don't know if this is the case in American schools in the U.S., but you know, it, it was sort of fine to just wear flip-flops and Birkenstocks, which, to be honest, I still love to this day. I've been wearing Birkenstocks since I was at UAB, and I remember they were a huge thing. And people would wear Converse in gym class. Those are sports yeah. shoes. And, and I thought was- that was normal. Well, I thought it was normal, but then my parents were like, these are terrible shoes. (laughs) I thought they looked good. And like, obviously my sister got some. It was funny because when we came back home, like sometimes the fashion didn't translate. Like we were super proud with her Havaianas. And then like, no one, like no one wore flip-flops in Canada. And the low rise jeans were so low in Brazil though. I don't know if it was just the time, but like, I remember shopping with my mom being like, the zipper is this big. It's like not even like a finger long. Like, how are you supposed to wear that? I definitely remember that I remember the low-rise jeans and and just like the different brands that I sort of became aware of from seeing seeing our classmates wear so I guess we can skip forward to when you took your first big trip again after going back to Canada so the main trip that I took would be um just after high school, I was in, I was 17. Me and my boyfriend decided to fly to Europe. I had never been to Europe. So I worked really hard the, uh, when I was uh, 16, I, during the summer. And then I saved the money. And then I went to Europe uh, for three weeks with um, my boyfriend at the time. And we stopped to go see my brother on the way. It was a very, looking back, it was horrible itinerary. But I feel like everyone has to do that trip where you do the mistake of like packing like seven countries in like three weeks and it makes no sense. And you spend most of it on on trains and stuff. Uh, nowadays, I wouldn't do it that way, but that's what we did. Well, you've traveled quite a lot since. And I see you now as sort of this expert traveler because you've done these solo trips and over a very long period of time, which... I don't think is really, I guess, my thing of, of traveling for months on end. But as, I mean, I know, of course, that you traveled for 10 months to Southeast Asia, but also New Zealand, Japan. Do you feel like it was, it was like life changing or, or what were some of new perspectives or changed perspectives that you might have gotten? 
so I'm just going to recap a little bit what I did and then I'll get to my Southeast Asian trip. So I went to Europe and then I think, and then I did a bunch of like small travel, like went to DC, went to Toronto, things like this. And then eventually I went to, I tried going to France or so the country that has the same language as I did never had been for two weeks by myself to see if I would like it traveling solo because uh, as a present to myself uh, I gave myself a trip to New Zealand Australia for four months to go again visit my brother who back then had moved to Australia and uh, and from that I just like I liked the trip in France it was nice but the one in um, in Australia New Zealand was really really fun and I wouldn't say it was like life changing at that point, but it's definitely like a tendency to change things. Um, and then after that, I I lived in uh, Vietnam as part of an internship for four months, and I really wanted to go back to Vietnam and really really fell in love with Southeast Asia. Um, I did a lot of traveling in Vietnam itself when I was there. There was like not a week. Well, there was a few weekends I was I was at home because there were some things I wanted to experience, but really. And then I wanted to go to Southeast Asia for, I took a, when I, again, as a present to myself, when I finished my master's, I took a year off. Uh, I didn't have anything lined up and it just felt like the right move to do before settling in. So that's what I did. And, uh, and there was a chance to go back to Vietnam. So sometimes still to this day, when I feel down or something, or when I feel really happy, I feel the same feeling I did experience at some points in the trip. Like I can go back to some places. Sometimes I just see pictures that I haven't seen for a while. And I just remember like how happy I felt at certain points, but don't get me wrong in those trips, that trip, I, there were some times where I felt very low. I had, um, and, uh, but I don't, I do remember it, but I remember it I don't remember the pain. I remember feeling low, but when I look at the pictures, I think I do remember the happiness and feel happy. There's a difference. So it, overall, it's it was just so much happiness. It was I love I I it's really funny because I hated hiking as a kid. My parents just forced me to. I hated it, hated it. And then as I grew to an adult, I really really loved it. And so I always try to balance my trip. When you do longer trips, you have to do you get fatigue from traveling all the time. So when you do things, I did like a yoga resort for a week, which actually was kind of not my thing, but now I know I did like, I did 20 days of hiking in Nepal. Then I did like a, a week more. Eventually I landed at my brother's for like two weeks and that's like family. It's a rest and things like that. So you had to break it up. I did also woofing. Woofing was always a bit of a, it's so you work on an organic farm you stay with the family I always pick my hose very carefully I had tried in Australia and really loved it so I always am a little bit scared to try moving because I'm I'm thinking oh what if it's not a good experience and I could have been traveling instead and there's a cost of opportunity right if you're staying at a home seeing one place you're not seeing all the beautiful sites that in this case Japan had to offer there's so many things to see but uh but honestly those were some of the best experience uh I did like traveling, but I do realize that sometimes I feel like I couldn't connect with the local as much. So sometimes um, I would try to get a guide or someone to explain. It was really nice when I get someone from the area to show me. And I was just thinking about that with someone. I really love when people, people are so welcoming. They have nothing in a lot of places. Even if they do have something, they're so welcoming. They're so excited to see you and they will 
they will invite you to dinner that same day or the next day, come back and we'll have you for dinner. And I had so many people be so friendly, offer questions, offer help. I had one time I had this cab, this lady was driving a cab and she was like, I don't want you to walk here. And she picked me up and she's like, no charges. I'm just, I'm taking you off. And it's just the solidarity, the help. And I feel sometimes when I'm back home, I should be giving that much more, but I feel like it's not something people do, especially in North America. I don't know about Europe that much. Um, and I, I, I've had some people tell me they had experience of people taking them in in Europe and being so kind, but I, I, I haven't done it. And it's something I appreciate so much that I don't do. The biggest uh, realization though was probably you know the amount of privilege, the amount of privilege that I get to like, travel and like visit and have like I don't need to work I can even pay for for stuff during that time and I'm healthy if if anything goes wrong I'm out of there you know it's not it's not my life it's not if there's a problem I can get out and it's not my problem anymore right um and that's not a choice people who don't have a lot of money or or who don't whose home it is have I live in a place where there's like, there's no hurricane or anything really bad, right? So I would never have to make the choice of leaving my home behind. But some people might have to, and it's it's the amount of privilege. And especially as a woman, you know, people will often ask me, where's your father, husband, cousin, anyone, any male who can be with you and protect you. And I, there's a few times that was a little bit sketchy. I do tend to err on the, on the less risky side. I would, there's a lot of things I didn't do because I was a woman. I was like, I don't think I will go out tonight because I don't want to have drinks and not know what will happen. You know, um, some people, you know, I feel like there's male don't necessarily have that question, but at the same time, you know, I'm still privileged that I don't feel forced to be married at this age. I'm pretty old. I would be considered like, you know, past my due date for a lot of countries. Um, so it's a, it's the freedom, the privilege. And like in every country, women work so hard. They work like so much harder than men. And I think the amount of times I saw like, women working so hard while guys like drinking on the side of the road. Like I, I understand. I'm just seeing things. I'm not into this dynamic. I haven't asked questions, but women, like women worldwide work so hard, but traveling is nice, but it is like very superficial at times. Um, so if you're going for the landscape, it's fine. You know, there's nothing, there's no deeper way of understanding the landscape. But if you're trying to understand culture or people, you may have quick judgments as I had, you know, like what do I know really about women working so hard? Maybe had they have a different arrangement, maybe I don't get it. But, and sometimes that superficiality kind of gets to you, you know, like, so I do tend like, and I, so I have changed the way of traveling to try to like spend more time in a place slash a country and be more flexible with my plans. Um, if something comes up to uh, be able to go places, I've been to like a wedding, a funeral, <laughs> a lot of different things that if you didn't, don't have the built in flexibility, um, you can't really do. Um, but uh, that's why I've been like, I, my experience in Vietnam really showed me that like, 
I, whenever people ask me about Vietnam, especially recently, people ask me, oh, I would like to travel to Vietnam. Would you recommend it? And it's hard for me to know because I feel like I would view it much differently if I hadn't lived there. You know, I had a very, I, I lived there four months, yet I would say I met some people who had lived there for like four years and didn't know half of the thing I knew. I do get really, I ask a lot of questions and I do try to get as much as possible from where I'm living, but um and I don't know if I would have fell in love in it the same way as if I was traveling there. Because you you go to the places that are popular and they're very pretty, but they're not necessarily the day-to-day thing. Um, you know, talking with locals, getting to know their favorite places. I was lucky enough to have a guide there who like showed me her favorite places around town. And then uh, uh, the, the staff where I was working were also, they invited me over for food and things like that. They were really nice. And they showed me and they, they answered some of my questions. So that was really interesting. And I think I like to have that kind of experience more now. But I, I would still love to go like on beautiful hikes. <laughs> well, so I want to acknowledge the fact that I feel that you're very culturally aware and respectful. And I really like the fact that you made an effort to learn Vietnamese when you were in Vietnam. And I felt that you kind of just do your way around like a local and, and four months. Yes. It's obviously longer than if you were to just travel there, but it's still, it's not a lot of time. And for some people, like you said, it's, it's kind of about the mindset it's and less so about the time you spend. So you could live there for four years and, not bother to learn the language. Um, but I was only there visiting you for a few days, but I really appreciated that you wrote down, you know, where I should go when, you know, you were interning. And it was funny because I guess naturally with reason when we went somewhere to order coffee, for example, people looked at me expecting me to say something and I couldn't because I don't speak Vietnamese, but the fact that, yeah, you were able to order food, you know, you, you had it memorized. That's okay. I just want to point out, I just want to point out that my Vietnamese is not as good as it may have seemed. Like I didn't never got really into the tonal point and it's really important. Um, but I was just like try different intonations until they kind of got it. Uh, writing would be much better because they have the same uh, alphabet. They have a Latin alphabet. And I understood the words, even though they have different accent, I could recognize that. And I knew, you know, a few words here and there I could get understood, but like it was never that good. Uh, it was very basic, but it is, it's, it is more than most people would try. Um, I, when I was interning, I knew a lot of people who like didn't know the basics even, but uh, um, I used to, I lived in a really cool um, neighborhood. It was very old and close quarters. And there was a expat quarter. So that's where most of the expat uh, worked. But sometimes I would just walk home and I'm, I'm not very tall. Um, and my, my hair is pretty dark. It's brown, but it's darkish. And sometimes at one time, I remember I walked next to this man for, I don't know, 200 meters before he turned to, to the side and then saw me. And then he like, he would like, oh. <laughs> he thought I was Vietnamese and I wasn't. And it was such a shock. <laughs> um, 
like he didn't think anything bad of it. Oh, uh, another anecdote. I would go in store sometimes and they'd be like, no, no clothes, too fat. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's true. And they wear the clothes very tight. So like nothing would fit me. Like I'm just, I would say, uh, I would say I'm pretty standard. Um, I'm not overweight, but uh, I had to fit into like extra, extra large. So they wow. didn't carry all of that. And also when you tried it, it was like at the back of the store, the lady was like helping you dress. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so another thing I admire you for is I feel like you can literally live anywhere when it comes to the weather. Because Vietnam, I mean, you were there in the summer. It really, I think, hands down, it was the hottest, most humid place I'd ever been to. Uh, and I'm from Taiwan, you know, it, it gets pretty hot and humid in the summer, but I think also just taking into account when I went to Vietnam and you had never used your AC, I was like flabbergasted, but also just so much respect for you. And now you are living, well, you know, Canada generally obviously is, is cold, but you're living in Northern territories, like closer to Arctic circle. Uh, I mean, just, Talk about that contrast and, and also like the, the transition moving from, from Ottawa to, well, you know, outside of Ottawa in, in Quebec to Yellowknife. So weather-wise, I have been always quite good at adapting. I would say that's a pretty good skill of mine in Hanoi. There was definitely a decision not to start the AC because I felt like if I started the AC, then I would like stay in my room. Whereas now I'm like, what's the point of staying in my room when I could go outside? It's probably a little bit cooler. Um, it's also important to point out that there was a really good you when we went, you did put the AC on, but the, the there was a vent, there was a fan, sorry, in the on the ceiling. It was pretty efficient. Um, yeah, I don't think it was I, good. I don't think you were that warm. Like you were a little bit warm, but not that warm. Um, yeah. So it was a it was a it was a decision not to start I'm also I I'm not a fan of ACs in general it just I don't know but uh but it was it was like I didn't want to be stuck inside I definitely adapted to certain things like definitely use my umbrella as a movable like sun like protection uh I know we bought you a hat because your head was burning your hair was getting too warm and it was like that hat is now (laughs) We got you a hat because it was it was it was too warm. But uh, yeah, I definitely would use my umbrella to uh, get some shade. Um, but uh, I and and I did sweat a lot. I sweat so much, but I'm okay as long as I know I'm gonna sweat. That it's it's part of life, um, and it's just drank water. Um, but now I've moved to quite the opposite. Also, it's funny because when I went back to Hanoi, it was winter and it's very cold and humid and miserable. <laughs> so it was very different. Oh, like seeing it, okay. I didn't recognize it at all. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's similar to Taiwan, where it actually does get kind of cold in the winters. Um, well, not like Canada, but probably colder than you would have expected. Yeah, so now I'm probably, I actually, I'm probably in one of the, like, coldest live, uh, like, cities, cities, it's 40,000 people, um, still a city technically, but um, in the world, because, uh, you know, even places like Alaska and things like that, they're closer to the ocean. So places might be more up north. For example, in the Northwest Territory, there's the town of Inuvik. It's on the Arctic Ocean, and you would think, oh, that must be way cooler, colder, right? But it's not. Um, it's the it's the effect of 
the ocean does change things. So Yellowknife does get like, it's not uncommon to get minus 40 for multiple days. And the average I think is below minus 30 for January and February, usually average, or like, it's quite common. It's not, um, after minus 35, weird things start to happen, plastic freezes and things break weirdly. It's quite interesting. Um, but the, obviously the city is, the houses are built for that. Um, which is a different to like when you go to Southeast Asia and it gets cold and you don't know what to do because there's no heating. And um, I remember you telling me how miserable you were in Taiwan because there's no heating and it was just very yeah. cold. <laughs> so what happened is I was living in Ottawa and uh, I had a really fun life. It was nice. It was comfortable. I went to the theater every two weeks. I, you know, I was near my family. I had good friends. I, I went to good restaurants and it was fun, but it was just, I felt like I get this, I get itchy feet. I get this anxiety of, is this going to be it? I need to, I, I am a checklist person. I like to do checklists, checklists of, uh, of things. Even in Ottawa, I did a checklist of things I haven't done. I hadn't done before and decided to do those with friends and we did different experiences. And I'm just always like looking for the next new things to explore. I didn't, don't like going in the same place. I like to feel like uncomfortable people's, when I say that to people, they're like, who likes being uncomfortable? And I do. Like, you know, you see thing is one of the things. I like being uncomfortable. I like being challenged. So while I was, had a comfortable life, I was just, I just kept thinking, like, I, I work for government. And so I feel like now that I've specialized in government, it might be hard to find a job elsewhere. Uh, and government's pretty big, so it's easy to change from one thing to another. But it's still, like, it's still government. And um I was wondering, like, is this it? Is this like, is this the rest of my life? Um, and I, a lot of friends I know live that lifestyle. They go into, they go and hike on the weekend, and they and they come home to their dog, and they go to work on Monday for, and they work for government. A lot of people in Ottawa do, and they just have that lifestyle and they love it. They're comfortable. It just wasn't my case. I, I mean, I loved it. I had fun, but I just, I just had to make a decision to like spice things up and. Um, Coincidentally, my friend, uh, one of my friends had moved here uh, for a job opportunity. And uh, I I was like, oh, when am I ever going to go to Yellowknife? Most, um, so most Canadians live 100 kilometers from the U.S. border. So Canada is quite a big country, but quite empty places. Um, Northwest Territories, I would say most people have never been in their life in, most, in Canada and most people never will. It's remote, there's, it's expensive, getting there is hard. Um, it's not like Alaska. Alaska is way more developed. There's way more people. There's forty. There's actually forty thousand people in the whole Northwest Territory, which is probably big, like three or four, even five. I don't know. It's bigger than like seven European countries, probably. Um, like it's massive space. It's just a lot of an emptiness. Um, and so there's twenty thousand people in Yellowknife, and uh, so I was like, oh, whenever I, am I ever going to see? Uh, go to Yellowknife like, and stay for free because like hotels here are like, very expensive and things like that. And it's fun to have a local show you around. And so I went to visit my friend and I was very excited because it was Northern Light season, um, which happens here all the time, actually, except the summer. But um, And so I went to visit him and I just really fell in love with him and uh, not with him, with Yellowknife, um, with the place. And you, would, you could say I was lucky, you know, like I saw... I saw a bald eagle just like, just like fly right next to me. I was really excited about foxes, which are the raccoon of the north. 
here. Um, you know, people were really friendly. And my friend kept telling me it's not like that, it's not like that. But I don't know, it seemed like that. The landscape is very barren, small trees, but it's very dramatic in its own way. And I saw the Northern Lights and I didn't realize it afterwards, but we even saw a Northern Lights storm, which was like amazing. But I left there thinking the Northern Lights aren't even the best part of it, which I thought for sure were going to be the best part of visiting. We're going to be the Northern Lights. Um, first of all, they're not as, I think this needs to be said, they're not as nice as in the photograph because human eye in the dark isn't meant to capture colors. It's meant to, to get like shadows and depth. There's not usually a lot of colors at night, so it's not as good as the camera. Um, it's still amazing. When you get a good storm, it's still amazing. But there was just so many other things. Um, and so when a, a year later, when I was really unsatisfied with my job, um, this opportunity came up. There was actually this opportunity, but I, it was a job for all three territories. So Nunavut, uh, uh, Northwest Territory, and the Yukon. I was really hoping to get the Yukon. In the end, I got the Northwest Territory, which was a blessing in disguise. I'm really happy to be where I am. Um, and uh, I arrived in December of 2019, and it was the middle of one of the coldest winters uh, Yellowknife has ever known. <laughs> I didn't know that, but it was very cold for a really long time. It was dark. Uh, it gets very dark in the in the winter, but you just have to... I, I knew all of this, and you just have to see different things. I just think you have to... I think you're right. I think it could be... Almost, I could be happy almost anywhere. Just, it's a mindset, right? It's not like, a place is not going to make you happy. You're going to make yourself happy. So yes, it's like dark in the winter, but um, it's sunset, sunrise to sunset, and it's beautiful. Like it's golden hour for like four hours. So it's, and then the days get longer. <laughs> so you just got to get your joy when you can. And I really enjoyed the first uh, winter here. And then there was covid uh, there was a lockdown, but thankfully, like Yellowknife is small and isolated, so there were there were cases. There was no tra community transmission, and I don't own a car. Uh, a lot of people in Yellowknife don't. Thirty percent for a town this size is crazy. It's a uh, because of the way it's made. It's on uh, permafrost and rock, so you can't. It's really complicated to dig, so everything is kind of close by. Uh, I could like during COVID, I took a lot of walks in nature, which people were like, wow, why was this taking us like 10 minutes outside? And I'm really, I really do love uh, the proximity to nature and this. And then this summer I was just like people, I took like wonderful trips and it would be like overcrowded anywhere in Ottawa where I'm from. You would have to like make a reservation and here you just like, first of all, there's like, it's not a midnight sun because it actually does not set but it just goes under so you don't see the sun the whole time but it's basically sunrise to sunset sunset to sunrise and um so we like canoed on a lake and we arrived there we did some portage we got there at midnight we were paddling in the midnight and just trying to find an island where we we're going to spend the night and it was just it was amazing it was uh a lot of unsung beauty yeah honestly every time you send me pictures videos I'm just sort of like speechless by the beauty and I don't know if you feel this way but I felt like you made a really really good timely decision to <laughs> move to Yellowknife uh pretty much a couple of months before the pandemic 
sick over everything and you know you're still able to have pretty I'd say normal day-to-day life uh, I wish I could go visit you right now we'll wrap this up soon but I, I'm curious whether being in a very different city in Canada a very different part of Canada has also maybe affected um, you know your perception of Canada or or just Canadian identity um, definitely. Uh, the Northwest Territory is a very special place. Um, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but it, like it's 50% or above our uh, Indigenous people. Uh, so they might be Inuit or here there must be, there are a lot of Denes as well as a First Nation. And I had a roommate who was a Dene and it's, uh, I've met people from Indigenous uh, heritage, but I've never met so many in communities and it's, you see a whole different aspect and you don't necessarily understand. And there's a lot of challenges that you have here that I've never understood. I never, I never was even aware of, um, you know, you hear about food prices and food security in, uh, in Canada and you, you know, once in a while pop in the news, but once you go to communities here and you see that and, the access and the like, the price of food sometimes it's it's crazy, um, and the different the way it's much more real in that kind of way. Um, I would say like it definitely allowed me to experience a different Canada. Um, I think there are a lot of different Canadas. Um, I think this is one that we don't see a lot. The northern one is definitely one that's overlooked uh, by a lot of people just because of the amount of people who live there. Um, it. I don't like I don't know if it has affected my identity as a Canadian more as it has affected if not like deepened my understanding of indigenous issues um and small and remote communities because small and remote communities mostly are indigenous in Canada but there are some a little bit everywhere like you know the the one thing actually I would say and it's not even as a Canadian uh, Canadian I would say that uh Living in a smaller place is—I think it's a—I've never lived in like a small place. Like Chelsea was small, six thousand people, but it works in a larger system, right? So people go out and they go out in Ottawa. It's twenty minutes away by car. Um, but here's like everyone knows everyone, and honestly, that has been quite of a shock. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you have ever lived in a small place either. Salamanca, Spain, maybe, but that's a lot bigger than Yellowknife. It's I think one hundred fifty thousand people but small enough where you don't need a car you could walk all over uh but yeah for the most part no I've been in big cities I wouldn't say I'm talking about the density I'm just talking about how everyone really knows everyone like it's so it's a territory of 40,000 people but basically everyone knows like the the premier here or you know like I for my work we do economic development with the government and uh you can like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of accurate gossiping that goes on and not necessarily gossiping, but you know, stories because everything gets reported and everyone knows everyone. And I get picked up by people on the street all the time, you know, uh, people who know me, it's just, it's such a small and community thing. And I, and that's, that's to go back to what I was saying, um, like 20,000 people is much different. I've never lived in that small of a town and I think that's the rural area. I've never really experienced that. Going back to like 
the US and like have never, you know, when you travel, you usually travel to cities. And when you live, you live in cities. It's rare that you live in like a small place. I have lived in a small, like smaller communities in like when I was woofing for like a week or two in Japan, but also you don't speak the language. So you're not really well integrated. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's more, I don't know. So to answer your question, I don't think it has really impacted my view of me as a Canadian, but it has made me experience like more rural life and more uh, like um, indigenous issues. The term that's reserved for people who've been, were born here, not just raised here, but born and raised. And, um, you know, sometimes she says she just likes to go somewhere where she's anonymous. And that's like, you're never anonymous here. Like you do something and people will be like, oh, so I heard you did that yesterday. Like, okay, I guess. So, and, and so it's the community aspect is really, there's pros and cons, um, you know, but uh, it, there's definitely some cons that have to be, you know, said. The community aspect is great though. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you mentioned dating is harder. Obviously, like that's reasonable, you know, being a really small place, but uh, everyone who lives in New York says dating is uh, not great here either. And, you know, it's like the complete opposite where in theory you have a lot of options. So I guess we have to find like a, a middle ground sort of place. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think New York is too many options and also people don't feel like they have to commit and here it's like too few options and none for which you care for, none of which you care for. <laughs> Yeah, uh, two different scenarios, but at the end, the same problem, I guess. Well, I really appreciate your sharing your life journeys um, over this conversation. I think I've said more than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much again to Rose for joining us in this episode of Stories from a Nomadic Citizen and for sharing her unique experiences. And I personally really enjoyed taking a walk down memory lane and even I learned some new things, such as the fact that she had not wanted to transfer from the French school to the American school back in Brasilia. And it's just an example of how usually we are scared or resistant about transitions or changes in life, but that typically there are some positive outcomes, uh, one of which is uh, our friendship, uh, despite the challenges of going through a change or, or transition in life. If you have any questions about anything that we covered in this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please feel free to contact me at stories.nomadiccision at gmail.com. And you can double check the spelling of the email address in the episode notes. I will be back very soon.